This is a podcast from Minute Media. Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this Friday edition of the podcast. We are brought to you in part by the Minute Media Podcast Network. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set with the Chicago White Sox Winning the series two games to one is their fourth straight series win. They are still currently in fourth place, just two and a half games behind the third place Toronto Blue Jays and ten and a half games out of the division leading New York Yankees. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina by way of Wyndham, Maine. You can find me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining us tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, probably the last time we say Westwood, Massachusetts, uh, is Jason Kelly bought a house recently? Well, yes. maybe, maybe. I guess there's maybe, a... yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, potentially bought a house if if people get their crap together. But <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, should be the last time I I have to film from this dingy place. So looking forward to that. And uh, the new town is Canton, Mass. Is that what we're going to be saying? Yep. Yeah, I'll be hailing from Canton, Mass, pretty soon. Canton, Mass. All right. Yep. Also joining us tonight, coming off the bench for Job Goddard, uh, recently was with us. He comes from Syracuse, New York, Mark Rollins. Mark, how are you? Gentlemen, I am so glad to be back. And I have uh, many statements to make on things I said in the last episode of the podcast I was on, and I can't wait to walk everything back that I said before. Okay, this is uh, this is going to be a fun episode. So I guess to just kind of set the tone for the rest of the show, we don't have a lot to be upset about. Uh, May has been has turned out to be a, a fantastic month. It took us, I think, five weeks to win our second series, five weeks into the season. And since then, we've won four straight. Three of those four teams were expected to be playoff contenders. The Mariners, on paper, not great right now. Plenty of time to turn that around. Astros, probably, well, I shouldn't say probably a World Series favorite, but um, 
close enough. And uh, and then a lot of people still think the White Sox are going to come around and, and win the Central. So are we are we back, uh, at least in terms of uh, the wild card race? Now, remember, Terry, you're not supposed to use that that phrase. <laughs> we've been we've been taught by a certain section of the uh, Red Sox fan base that you're not allowed to say they're back. But uh, I would say winning four straight series against, as you said, playoff potential teams. Yeah, I I think they're back. Uh, maybe not all the way back. I don't think that they're a hundred. Everything's a hundred percent fixed. But you compare the month of May to the way it was going in April. Um, drastic turnaround and. Uh, it's it's certainly a really good start. So again, not a hundred percent back, but well on their way. I personally will not even use that word until June twenty eighth. I am one of those guys that refuses to acknowledge that the Red Sox have been playing well. I've been very happy with how they've been playing lately, but I will not determine their status as of returning to their prior form until June twenty eighth. Like I said, I won't even say the word. Well, all right. I think we can all agree that they're relevant. Is that is that okay? Can we use that word? Great word. Great okay. word. That's good. And we do have a, a unique five-game set against the Orioles. Part of that, I think, is a built-in doubleheader because we would have we would have started the season with them had it been on time. But the the lockout kind of uh, you know caused things to reshuffle. So. <laughs> We got a five-game set. I don't know if that's happened in baseball history before outside of the playoffs. Uh, maybe we'll find out in the coming uh, days or even hours. But So five against them. Then you got three more against the Cincinnati Reds. So unless we go by the wayside, we should be probably one or two games above 500 before the end of that second series is what I'm guessing. Yeah, they're heading back to Fenway with a, a ton of momentum. And again, like you said, Baltimore, Cincinnati, they should not give you too much trouble. Baltimore might. Baltimore always, you know, they, they've they called up Rushman now. Their young kids are starting to, to really emerge. But uh, Baltimore's still, you know, a year or two away from really being competitive. So you should handle them pretty easily. And Cincinnati's an absolute joke right now. So um, if you don't win both those series, something went terribly wrong. Listen, man, I've been making jokes about the Cincinnati Reds since well before opening day. They just scored 20 runs against the Cubs. That scares me a little bit. (laughs) Um, That offense has shown that they can show up in a big way. Obviously, I think the Red Sox should win both series. Both of these teams are below the Red Sox in terms of talent, in my opinion. But Baltimore's got some interesting pieces. And like I said, that Reds offense, when it shows up, it really shows up. So just scored 20 against the Cubs, but it's it should be two back-to-back really good series for the Sox. I haven't looked at the pitching matchups yet for the Baltimore series, but they have a top prospect getting called up soon, if I'm not mistaken, and that, that could happen during the Red Sox series. So we'll, we'll check on that and uh, get to it uh, in the tail and uh, when we do the series preview, but uh, let's just go ahead, get right into studs and duds. 
Uh, Mark, we're gonna we're gonna put you in the leadoff spot tonight, off the bench and into the leadoff spot. Who is your stud for the series? I must publicly apologize to Trevor Story. I came on this show a couple weeks ago and I slandered this man nonstop. I issued an apology on radio this morning, and I must do it again on the podcast. Trevor Story has been hitting the absolute cover off the ball since I tore him a new one the last time I was on this show, and he is my stud for this series. Two home runs, eight RBIs. All of a sudden, it looks like Trevor Story is playing in Colorado again. And obviously, in his career prior to this season, he was a much better hitter in Colorado than he was on the road. His OPS was about 200 points higher in Colorado than it was on the road. And I will now publicly apologize to Trevor Story because he has been an absolute stud. This series is no exception. Two home runs eight RBIs. He was a big reason why the Red Sox put up two huge numbers in this series against the White Sox. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that Trevor Story has uh, woken up officially and like it was a slow start. We all kind of bashed him pretty hard at times. Um, and, and I think rightfully so, because look, there's a lot of pressure. You sign a big deal like that. You're the big prize of the offseason and you get off to a slow start. It does get compounded, obviously, when the team struggles as well. You know, if the Red Sox were playing good baseball and they were in second, third place, maybe even first, I don't think we would be as hard on Trevor Story as we were. But when he's struggling and the team's struggling, you just kind of go, oh, geez, like, here we go again, another bad free agent signing. But Trevor Story's too good of a baseball player for that to have been true. This was not going to turn into a Carl Crawford or Pablo Sandoval. Trevor Story is much better than both those guys, and he's proving that now. So... The bat's awake. Um, the power is really starting to show up defensively. He looks very comfortable at second base. There's been no issue there at all either, which is a, a nice sort of pleasant add-on because you never know. Some guys change positions and they lose it. You know, our very own Xander Bogarts, that one year he played third base, he was terrible. Um, it was. It's nice to see Story adapting to second base very well. He's still using his speed, which is something that this team was sorely lacking last year. So it's good to see him stealing bases or at least being a stolen base threat along with his power. So, and look, he's in the perfect spot in that lineup, you know, hitting behind bogey Devers and JD who are on fire right now and do nothing but get on base and set them up. And then he's just driving them all in. I mean, what was it? He's got 32 RBIs or something in the month of May. I mean, it's absurd. So he's, he's averaging more than an RBI a game at this point. Um, it's great to see he's in the perfect spot in the lineup. I hope they don't mess with it. Hope they keep him there. Um, and if this is him heating up, you know, if this is just a start by June, July, this lineup could be really dangerous if he keeps hitting that way in the middle of that lineup. It's just a different team with him hitting well, especially down in the six hole, because we weren't getting a lot of production down there. And, You've got Kike kind of back in the leadoff spot, not exactly killing it, but being adequate again. So that's a spot we don't really have to pay a ton of attention to. And I think Story has just found a home down there. And I wouldn't really mess with that. Maybe bring him up to fifth if that's how the alignments work. It just depends on how you go, you know, righty, lefty and and whatnot. I guess it would be hard with 
with Verdugo because you can't really put him higher than fifth. But um, it's just been great to see. And his first hit tonight was was a line drive to left field, and that drove in one or two runs, I think. So it hasn't been all just home runs. I mean, it, it feels like it has, but he's he's helping the team offensively in, in so many different ways. And, and uh, Jason, you said it, he's, he's stealing bases, which is something this team doesn't typically do. Um, last year, Christian Vasquez, I think led the team and he didn't have a ton, but you know, he, he led the team and, and Vasquez, it's not that he's fast. He's just a smart base runner. And um, so just absolutely great to see. And there's a different energy about the team as well. Most casual fans didn't really know who Trevor story was when the signing happened. There were people like us and I'm sure, you know, perhaps close friends of theirs that says, Oh yeah, he was a stud out in Colorado. He's going to be awesome. And, and so they're, they're getting the Trevor story experience right now and, and seeing it for the first time. And, um, I obviously was a huge proponent of it. Um, I, but I'll, I'll quit bragging about that. I didn't think we were necessarily going to sign him, but I was just a big Trevor story guy. Um, so it's just been, it's just been a lot of fun to watch. And interestingly, I thought I had his batting logs up. Nope. I'm on, uh, the wrong page. All right, here we go. So Bogarts, interestingly, has has cooled off a little bit as uh, as stories heating up. So that's just gonna just add to the drama of the whole extension uh, situation, the saga that is the uh, extension situation. And Xander didn't have a terrible series. He was three for twelve. But of the 33 runs scored, none of them were were driven in by Xander Bogarts. Not a single run driven in uh, in this whole series. So he's kind of cooled off. And I don't – do you guys think there's any – because Xander reached out to Trevor Story and says, dude, you got to come to Boston. It was like late in the game before the signing happened. said, dude, you got to come to Boston. Do you think – Perhaps there might be a little bit of remorse, personally. (laughs) I'm not reading too much into it because Bogey has always been a streaky hitter. Bogey, at times, looks like the best hitter on the planet. And then there will be a series where the Red Sox score this many runs, and then he doesn't drive a single one of them in. That's sort of always the hitter he's always been, so I'm not reading too much into that. But no, I don't think there's any remorse because... You know, with recent reports that maybe he'd be willing to sign an extension during the season, I personally, I said it last time I was on, I'll say it again. In my mind, Xander is gone. I've already accepted the fact that he will be on the Los Angeles Dodgers next year. Like, and it's always the Dodgers because they have they have billions of dollars that they're willing to spend. Um, but. So in my head, he's already gone, but I don't think there's any remorse because I think Xander knows the type of player that he is. I think he knows that he's going to end the season with a round of 300 average, 25 home runs, 95 to 100 runs driven in, 
you know, if the guys in front of him get on and it's just a, it's just a streak. And he does this. Remember it, it was a few years ago when he hit like 11 home runs in a season and everyone was like, what happened to Xander Boker? This power has not developed. And he was like, yeah, I had a broken hand. I just, I, I didn't swing the bat as hard as I normally do. I'll be back. And then he came back and he hit 28 home runs the next year or whatever it was. So, like, we see stretches like this from Xander. It's just another one of those stretches, and I don't think it's too much to read into right now. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm not reading too too much into it right now. Um, he, he cooled off a little bit during this series, but uh, like Mark said, he, he can be a streaky hitter at times. And I don't know, maybe his back's still hurting him from landing on the freaking baseball uh, last week. I mean, that, that's got to hurt, and he hasn't taken a day off since that happened. So maybe he's just feeling a little funky. He's probably got a nasty bruise back there, and maybe it's affecting his swing a little bit. Um, I, I will say, though, I, dude, if my, my advice to Xander Bogarts, if you're facing Josh Harrison next time, maybe just swing. Just just swing at the fifty seven mile an hour changeup. Don't just let it sit there like that. That looks a little <laughs> little ridiculous. But ultimately, no, I, I'm not too worried about Xander um, getting affected by what Trevor Story is doing. I think Xander wants to win. I think he's a winner first and foremost, and he knows just like you said, Terry. This lineup is so different with Trevor Story in it and with what he's doing right now. So I think Xander recognizes that. He's happy about that. I don't think there's any resentment towards helping Trevor story get here. I, I think that, you know, the contract thing is kind of over in this column and winning ball games and seeing what Trevor story is doing is over in this column. I think Xander is able to separate it. And you guys could be right. I guess the, my logic behind, you know, throwing that angle out there was that He's probably looking for a lot more than 140 million, which is what Trevor Story signed for. But if Story is far and away better than Xander at the end of the year, I shouldn't say far and away because it won't be drastic. But if his WAR is maybe a point or a point and a half higher, it's going to be hard for Scott Boris to rationalize why the Red Sox should give Xander Bogart 60 to 80 million more than than what Story's making is uh, where I was going with that, but we'll see. We'll see. I I think Boris is is grossly uh, mishandling um, Xander and what Xander really wants, and um, it's going to be a complicated winter again for the the middle infield market. Just quickly, Scott Boris always wins. It, you can you can speculate all you want. This is the guy that got Mike Hampton like $115 million. Like, Scott Boris always wins. He always has the highest contract in the history of baseball signed to him. This, I personally don't think Trevor Story will outperform Xander Bogarts, at least strictly on the offensive side. Yeah, the war might be a little bit higher because Story's a better defender than Xander. But... Strictly on the offensive numbers, I don't see Trevor grossly outperforming Xander. I don't see him outperforming Xander in the long run at all. But it's Boris will always get that contract. I don't know if he's got dirt on every single GM in baseball, but I think he might because this is the guy that made Alex Rodriguez the highest paid player in baseball twice over the span of five years. 
with two different contracts, or highest paid player in sports history, I should say, because he was at the time. He got 37-year-old Barry Bonds $25 million a year. Like, he will always get the contract he wants. Well, I mean, I guess the reason I said it was complicated was because Correa had to sign a short-term deal, you know, relatively short-term, three years, $105 million. And so, so not only does Boris have to try to get him that contract this year, he also has to do it with a second player now, too. And I just think that's going to be hard where he couldn't do it with one last winter. And you got Trey Turner to contend with as well, who might be the best of the three, really. Um, so that's why I think yeah. I think it's going to be complicated. But Xander might get paid if one team is just sitting there praying right now, like, oh, please don't let the Red Sox extend him, you know, and and then they move in on him. Um, you know, he he could get you know close to two hundred from from someone. So. We'll see. I think the the trade talks are gonna go away, though. I think that's the one thing we're not gonna hear anything about. <laughs> As uh, like I said, we're we're definitely getting relevant again. So, um, all right, Jason, your stud for the series. Uh, my stud is JD Martinez, who just continues to absolutely rake. Um, he was nine for thirteen in this series. He scored seven runs, and he only struck out twice. Like and and it in this game today it took Josh Harrison pitching to finally get him out. I mean, <laughs> he's just Shane Martinez is just white hot right now, and it's going to be interesting to see how long he keeps it up. You know, is he still hitting like this in August and September when you know the games really start to pile up and you get into those you know the quote unquote dog days of summer? Is he still going to be hitting well over three hundred and putting together? seven to 10 game hitting streaks and all that. But for now, take what you can get from him because um, he, he's been one of your best offensive producers and it will be interesting if he does keep it up, what do you do with him in the off season? Cause every time we talk about potentially signing Xander Bogarts, uh, potentially giving Raphael Devers an extension, everyone says, well, you know, prices, money comes off the books and you get JD off the books and you get Evaldi off the books what if you don't want to take JD off the books? What if he's just too good and maybe, you know, Costas, who knows if he's going to be ready by then. Many people say he will be, but what if he's just too good and you go, we've already got a really good DH here. Maybe he'll come back on a shorter deal and we still save a little bit of money. Like I'm just saying, maybe at this point it's time to start considering maybe JD Martinez is going to be part of this team next year going forward because if he's going to keep hitting like this and he's willing to just come back on a little bit of a more reasonable deal, I don't see why not. So, but that's an off season topic, obviously, but for right now um, he's, he's part of what drives the engine on, on the offense. He's part of what sets the table for Trevor story. And he's not exactly doing it with power, but that's okay. You don't need J.D. Martinez to hit 35, 40 bombs. You've got plenty of power in your lineup. So if his power is going to dip, but he's going to continue to, you know, if he's going to be like the Todd Helton on-base king of this team, I'll take it. That's that's great. Mark, thoughts on J.D.? I, I am always okay with J.D. being the stud of the series. 
It, I JD is one of the best signings in Red Sox history. Plain, simple, period, end of story. And he, yeah, like you said, nine for 13. He was laughably good in this series. He was hilariously good in this series. And the guy is just, you know, he's one, it is interesting, Jason, you mentioned the contract situation. It's not like the Red Sox don't have a history of keeping DHs for a while. We saw one that's going into Cooperstown in July. You know, we all watched David Ortiz and we watched what he could do at the age of 40, you know, in 2016 and finish sixth in MVP voting, which I thought was too low because he led the league in slugging and OPS. Like, I, I'm not saying JD is going to be big poppy great, but at the same time, this is a guy that can just flat out hit. And to be honest with you, I know he's had some injury issues in recent years and that back barks on him every once in a while, but there isn't a ton of miles on him. I mean, this was a guy that wasn't a full-time player until he was, what, 27 years old? He reminds me a lot of Nelson Cruz. You know, Cruz wasn't a full-time player until he was 26, 27, and now he's a potential Hall of Fame candidate when he retires because he just aged like wine. And J.D. might do the same thing. Like Jason said, I don't know if it's going to be 40 home runs anymore. I don't know if he's got that in him. But at the same time, if he's hitting 315 with 20, 25 home runs, I will take that eight days a week. And I'd be fine to see J.D. on this team for years to come as long as he he stays healthy and he continues to be able to flat-out hit which I think he'll be able to do because if you remember correctly, when he was on Detroit, the guy whose swing he watched a lot was a guy that won a triple crown and a couple MVPs and just got his 3,000th hit in Miguel Cabrera. That's a pretty good guy to look up to. J.D. Martinez is leading all of Major League Baseball right now uh, in terms of batting average. Uh, he's hitting 380. Next closest is Tim Anderson at 363. Manny Machado right behind him at 361. So there's your top three. In terms of OPS, Martinez ranks third, only behind uh, Mike Trout and Aaron Judge. In terms of doubles hit, he is actually all the way down to fifth, tied with uh, Paul Goldschmidt. But he would be second in the American League uh, in terms of doubles. Any guesses as to who's number one? Hmm. This is number one in the American League, I should say. I'd probably guess Tim Anderson, but... Probably not. It's not Bradley, is it? Don't tell me it's Bradley. Oh, no, no. Okay, I oh, know he had no, I was like, oh, God. Just... Is it Story? Wait, is it Story? It's Rafi Devers. A oh, Rafi, okay. This is double. So Devers is first in the American League. Martinez second. Yuli Gurriel is fourth. And uh, actually, Yuli Gurriel is tied for third with Kike Hernandez. 
So the Red Sox have been doubles machines is what I'm getting at. But J.D., uh, a big part of that as well. And uh, let's check the, uh, yeah, not even top 10 with runs batted in. But um, still, just absolutely raking. Going to be a surefire all-star. Probably will start the all-star game as uh, the starting D.H., my other question here is this, and I'm going to have to lean on you guys because I, I always forget what the, you know, the the threshold for certain categories is as far as getting into the Hall of Fame. But if JD plays to age 40, I think that would be at least five more seasons. Not counting tonight's stats, he's got... 271 ribbies, 800, no, excuse me, <laughs> 271 home runs, 858 ribbies, which I think might be a little low, but he's got uh, just over 1,400 hits and a lifetime batting average of 292, lifetime on base of 355 and, an, and a 530 uh, lifetime slugging. If you add five more productive years to that, does that get him into Cooperstown? It so could. He'd be so close I, to 2,000 hits. Yeah. I, like when you look at his numbers, he's got to get to 2,000 hits. I think that's that's like a minimum threshold for the Hall of Fame is at least 2,000. Unless you were a prolific power hitter and you didn't collect as many hits, but you hit 600-plus home runs. Like I think that was what – Tommy did um so unless you do something like that and if he hits let's say i don't know 20 home runs a year or you know five more years yeah that gets the home run total up there that gets the hits total up there um i think he's a little hurt by no mvps and not even really kind of coming close i mean there was that one season where he finished fourth um but no mvps couple of time all-star a couple of silver sluggers Absolutely, you know, I, I don't, he can't have any gold gloves, does he? No, no gold gloves, but he does have a World Series ring too. That helps. So the accolades kind of work against him because, again, just no MVPs. It, it's tough. Um, only a couple time All Star. That's tough too. Defensively, he has no value and he never has. But if he hits, you know, again, around 320 homers a year, let's say 150 plus hits a year. And he does that for four or five more seasons. Yeah, I, I think the numbers will get him close enough. He won't be a first ballot, obviously, but I actually I compared him to Todd Helton earlier. Todd Helton's a guy who was eventually going to get in. He got 44% this year. It was only his like third or fourth year on the ballot. He's going to get in. It's just going to take him seven or eight years to finally get there. But yeah, I think he could do it. JD is a very interesting case for me. Now, I will admit, I am a massive Hall of Fame nerd. Okay. I go to Cooperstown. Like I'm going to Cooperstown tomorrow. <laughs> like I go three or four times a year. It's one of my favorite places on earth. The Baseball Hall of Fame is my favorite thing to talk about with baseball. JD is a very interesting case because he is very much going to be a case of the peak Hall of Famer. And we've seen some guys get in just based off their career peaks. The most famous, of course, is Sandy Koufax, which had one of the great peaks in the history of baseball. And we're starting to see more guys that 
you know, had this great peak that got them in. I'm looking at JD's stats since 2014. That was his first year in Detroit. So after he was cut by Houston, since then per season, he's averaged 127 games, which isn't great, but in that time, and that's also including the COVID shortened season in 2020, of course, which, so that takes that number down a lot but he averages 30 home runs and 89 RBIs per season. If you increase that to per 162 games, it's 38 home runs, 113 RBIs. So that is elite production. And that's with a 298 average, a 561 slugging, a 144 OPS plus. So his peak, and that's just saying, or excuse me, I didn't even include this year in that. That's just between 2014 and 2021. Um, so it appears that his peak production is there to potentially put him in Cooperstown. You also have to remember, he may have finished fourth in MVP voting only once. He was in 2017, the year prior, he finished 14th. That was the year he had 45 home runs, including 29 after being traded to the Diamondbacks, in which he played 62 games for Arizona, and he had 29 home runs. Everyone knows how dangerous of a hitter J.D. Martinez is. It almost reminds me of Jim Rice. A lot of why Jim Rice is in the Hall of Fame is he was the one of the most feared hitters of that era. It was Reggie Jackson, and it was Jim Rice. Those were the two guys you never wanted to face. And he's going to go down as one of those guys that pitchers are going to say, man, one of the toughest outs I ever had to face was J.D. Martinez. And that'll help his case, too. So I, I would say right now he's on the precipice for his peak stats. The counting stats will not be there, even with the five more years. I would say the counting stats don't make him a Hall of Famer. But with his reputation and with his peak, I would say he would eventually get it. He's almost a hitting scientist, you know, with the, the intensity of how he studies everything. But I think if you get him up to, to 2,000 hits, like Jason says, and another October with some heroics, I think that I think that does a lot. Because I think postseason play does impact your, your Hall of Fame candidacy uh, a little bit. So... Um, so it's interesting. I mean, that's not a topic that comes up, but when you see what he's doing at uh, 34, 35 years old, is he 35? Let's see. Well, he will be in August, so I think this would technically be more of his age 34 season. But, um, yeah, so you just don't hear that come up, and I'm just wondering perhaps if we will hear it. You got two DHs in the Hall of Fame now, Edgar Martinez and then um this uh, next month sometime you'll have uh big poppy so uh all right my stud for the series is gonna be mr alex verdugo who kind of went off he was uh six for 15 uh drove in runs in every single game uh including three today Hit two doubles uh, in the final game of the series as well, and he was not hitting um, for extra base hits for most of the month. He, I think, only had maybe two or three doubles the whole month of uh, May, last I checked. So starting to heat up, and he's another guy 
if he gets hot, that makes the Red Sox offense a lot more dynamic and a lot more productive. And like J.D. Martinez, like Rafi Devers lately, and, and even Trevor Story at times, they're not trying to kill the ball. They're just they're putting it in play. And that's something they were not doing the first four or five weeks of the season. They were all trying to crush the ball. And it just it wasn't working. And we're putting it in play. We're stranding a lot less base runners now because you got guys like Verdugo and Story stepping up but Vasquez had a good series as well so that definitely contributed to the 216 run games but but a productive Alex Verdugo you know helps make the Red Sox uh what could probably be a top three or four offense at worst I think by by the end of September so liked what I saw out of him this series Jason thoughts on Verdugo yeah, it was nice to see him heat up, and he was a guy I was worried about for a while. I, I was, you know, I think tweeting out last week that he looks like he needed an IL stint. You know, he was grabbing at his back a couple of times and just looked lost at the plate. You know, just was rolling over ground balls to second base almost every at bat. And all of a sudden, this series—I mean, tonight—he missed a home run by you know a couple of inches. That double he hit off the wall. That you know, he, he hit that ball hard and just looked like looked like himself again. Um, even looked good playing in the outfield. He, he ran down a fly ball later in the game that he really had to sprint to, to get to it. Um, didn't look labored at all. So it's, it's great to see him hitting and you're right. It does change this lineup dramatically because for the longest time, you know, like through all of April, part of the reason, the biggest reason the Red Sox struggled was because it was basically just the two through five that was hitting, you know, and, and Trevor story was kind of hitting, but, but not really. It was really more two through four that was doing it. Now it's two through six because Story's awake and Verdugo's awake. If Kike keeps, you know, getting there too, then you get one through six. That's productive. Like you said, Christian Vasquez heating up. Now you got one through seven that's hitting. And at that point, it's like, who cares who plays first base, whether it's Cordero or Dahlbeck, because the rest of your lineup is so friggin' hot that it won't matter. So Verdugo heating up, being in that six spot, or you know, um, being in that part of the order, that's that's huge. You're going to need that going forward. So he went, like I said, he went from a guy who I thought needed some time off to a guy who is heating up just at the right time. So um, it's good to see because that was worrying watching him during the month of April, but he looks like himself again. It's great. I'm glad Alex Verdugo listens to the show because last time I was on, I said I was tired of him swinging so hard and trying to hit home runs every plate appearance. And clearly he has listened to my advice. Um, he looks so much more comfortable at the plate. He looks so much more like the Alex Verdugo we saw the past couple of years where it's just find those gaps. He's never going to be a 30 home run guy. He's always going to be around 20 and he's got to find the gaps hit doubles and use his legs because he is a good base runner and he's not the fastest guy in the world, but he can stretch a single into a double. And he's been doing that more this series. I really liked the way he looked at the plate and it's just, it makes me so happy to see this Red Sox lineup finally becoming the Red Sox lineup that we all thought it was going to be going into the season. 
it was always going to be, well, the Red Sox are going to hit, but how many nine to eight games are they going to lose? And we saw plenty of games where they were losing nine to two. So now the fact that the offense is going and, like you said, scored 33 runs in this series, including 16 in game one and 16 in game three. Those are those are football scores. The Red Sox were putting up football scores in this series. And Alex Verdugo getting hot is a huge part of that. And like I said, his approach at the plate has made me very confident moving forward. We were talking, I think it was the midweek show, perhaps last week, where we were talking about Duran getting called up and who does he take playing time from? And it wasn't automatically Jackie Bradley, like some would expect, like Verdugo was doing that bad. So does Duran take some time from, from Alex Verdugo out and left? And ideally that's where Duran would go anyway. But at this point, I mean, if it's a short sample size. It was one good series, but if he can carry this forward, like we said, I mean, it's one less problem to have. I mean, we have a ton less problems now. Like I said earlier, Kike's doing okay in the leadoff spot twice the series in, in the very first at bat of the game, he hit a solo and kind of set the tone. That's good to see Devers. I, I still don't know if I love him in that two hole, but, um, but he's doing his thing there. You don't, you don't have to worry about two through four. That's Devers, Martinez, Bogarts. And then Verdugo and Story heating up. Uh, Franchi Cordero hasn't been useless like like the other first baseman we have. Um, so it's just it's such a much more fun uh, team to watch. I don't can't remember. I was pulling up uh, tonight's. Box. I think it was Verdugo related, but it slipped. It's late. So, um, all right, let's get to some honorable mentions. Um, Christian Vasquez, like I said, uh, six for 12, hit a three run shot in game one. Uh, didn't hit a home run in the series finale, but uh, drove in a couple of runs today. 16 runs, so everybody, uh, well, everyone but Bogarts, it seems like. But Vasquez, pretty solid. Uh, Jackie Bradley, that's why I was bringing the box up. Um, Bradley's playing pretty well lately. I mean, he was three for nine this series, and his average is up to 213, so quietly putting some uh, distance on that. Mendoza line um, stories I, I noticed is, was getting up, but the only two regular guys below it are uh, Pluecki and um, Arroyo, uh, only hitting 194. Then on the pitching side, Nick Pavetta continues. That's his, I think, third or fourth straight start. He went six innings, five hits, three earned runs, did walk two, but struck out five. Um, Rich Hill apparently was tipping pitches. I don't remember that being brought up, uh, two starts ago, but, uh, pretty serviceable, uh, over five innings, uh, just two hits, 
uh, two earned runs, only struck out one, but was getting a lot of contact outs. Tanner Hout comes in after him. I think that's his at least his third straight scoreless appearance. So whatever funk he was in uh, following the Toronto sit-out that he had uh, seems to be behind him. Uh, not quite as many strikeouts with his newfound grip this time, but uh, did not give up an earned run. And uh, John Schreiber today, one and two-thirds innings. Uh, no hits, no walks, struck out two, still has not given up uh, an earned run yet. And what's not exactly a small sample size anymore. So uh, thoughts on any of those guys, uh, Jason? Yeah, I was very pleased with the pitching all throughout the series. Even Walker today, I know that he gave up five runs, but I put that more on Alex Cora for leaving him in too long. His pitch count was getting up there it was pretty clear that he was starting to get hit hard and Cora just left him in there a little too long. And and I've always sort of gotten on Alex Cora for not letting his pitchers go deep. This is one of those games where he actually wish he had pulled Waka a little bit earlier. But other than that, I mean, again, Hill and Waka are your back end of the rotation. Like they're, they're hanging on until you get sale and Paxton back. Those are your guys. And they've pitched well. I mean, Rich Hill kept you in that game yesterday you know he, he didn't pitch that badly only gave up one run so you know or you know a couple so he's been fine um walk has been fine again today was a little bit of a slip up but he was just in there a little too long and nick pavetta has completely turned it around and looks like his rotation spots definitely not going anywhere he's a solid number three in your rotation now um at least when sale gets back so i yeah and the bullpen i mean there's only one guy that i was you know, annoyed with, and we'll get to him later, but Tanner Houck looking great. John Schreiber, like you said, I mean, I, I keep saying it with this guy, just ride the wave as long as he can. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know if it's just a deception thing because of his delivery or if it's just, he's just having, you know, his moment, but uh, ride that wave as long as he can. And the rest of the bullpens honestly looked fine. So your pitching was was also pretty solid this this series, and I think that helped you out a lot. Yeah, shout out Dick Mountain, Rich Hill. Um, love that guy. 88 years old. It's amazing what he can still do on a baseball diamond. Um, no, he, he did pitch well again this series. I'm the biggest Tanner Houck fan on the planet. I have been screaming for him to be a full-time starter the past, like, five years. No one listens to me, um, but he's been good out of the bullpen in his recent outings. So it's okay. You can keep him there if you want, I guess. I still want him in the rotation because I think he's the right-handed Chris Sale. <coughs> Excuse me. But also shout out uh, Kevin Pulecki. Hit a home run today. He had one plate appearance, and he hit a home run. So good for Pulecki. It was his first of the season. Just wanted to give him a quick little shout out. I don't think he's very good at baseball, but I'm glad when he does good things. That was off a position player, though, but we'll we'll still take it. (laughs) Listen, a home run's a home run, especially for that guy. I I played baseball for 15 years. I didn't hit a single home run in a game. So good for (laughs) Ken Kulawecki for hitting a home run. It got him off the schneid, all right? That's what I'm going to go with. I don't care who it was against. Okay, no, fair enough. I I was also a slappy contact hitter myself. (laughs) I wasn't very good. I, I and, and even an average slappy contact hitter. 
Yeah, I, I'm I'm famous for two things, and they were both base running blunders. Uh, number one, I stole second base with a man already on once. I think I saw Hanley Ramirez do that, so I'm not the only one uh, in in the history of mankind to do that. Uh, second one uh, was actually my first ever senior league game, which in Maine uh, is is the next after little league. I was uh, back then. I was small, uh, you know. I 100 and I don't even know what I weighed. That would have been my eighth grade year. So I was one of the smallest guys on the team, and they didn't have a pair of pants that would uh, fit me. So they gave me the closest size they could, and they said, by next game, we'll we'll have the right size, but just try to make this work. So my mother had like was using these pins and uh, paper, uh, what do you call those? Um, paper not paper clips clip. yeah that some type of clip not like, like the conventional the, paper clip but the no plastic. but the ones that you, you yeah, like the plastic you squeeze ones. them and, yeah. yeah i'm watching yeah. your fingers right now yeah, yeah yeah so though so she had them rigged on and they stayed on for most of the game but i i hit a soft line drive at the first baseman he dropped it i was safe at first stole second base straight up then i stole third base on a wild pitch and then I went home on another wild pitch, got halfway home, pants came down, and uh, I'm tripping over my fallen pants. And long story short, I was safe, and thank goodness it was 1997, and there were no smartphones, because that would have went viral. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I'm famous for um, locally. Uh, in Maine. So I wish I was a better baseball player. I wish I took it more seriously because maybe I would have been, I don't know, at least at the local level a lot better. But but yeah, Um, I didn't mean to get remotely anywhere on that. I just wanted to say uh, Nick Pavetta, though, uh, absolutely phenomenal. And let's see, ever since, uh, let's see, the last time he got rocked, that doesn't look right. Is this really Nick Pavetta's page? Yeah, it's got to be because it's got a complete game in there. So the last time he got really rocked was uh, in April, uh, the April 20th start against Toronto, and then uh, gave up five earned runs that game. Uh, gave up two earned runs after that, and then uh, his... May 5th start against Baltimore wasn't great. He only gave up three earned, but only went four and one-third. Since then, uh, he had a scoreless six-inning outing against the White Sox. We ended up losing that game, unfortunately. A seven-inning outing against the Texas Rangers only gave up one earned run over seven innings. Then he had the complete game uh, in which he only also gave up one run. Gave up three runs over six innings, but this White Sox offense, pretty robust. So you'll take uh, three earned uh, over six any day now. I just hope he's figured it out. Uh, That's the thing. He he can lose his mechanics. He's a little bit of a head case at times, but it it solves a lot of problems if you know his spot in the rotation is is safe because you've got... Chris Sales return uh, resumed throwing. I think James Paxton has too. Nathan Avaldi is doing his thing, and uh, there's no reason to suggest Rich Hill is in any danger, uh, nor Michael Waka. So, 
you might be able to put Whitlock back in the pen if you really want to do that. I don't I don't think there's any way around it at this point with all those guys coming back, but like what I'm seeing out of Nick Pavetta. Yeah, I, I think he has figured it out. At least when you when you listen to him talk, especially after his last couple of starts, he just sounds way more confident in all of his stuff. He he has more confidence in his breaking ball. He's he's using his fastball to set it up. Um, something obviously clicked, and you know he, he talked about having meetings with Vasquez and and uh, Dave Bush and kind of working on everything. So sometimes that's what happens. You know, it, it's just a mechanical thing, and all it takes is for someone to flick the switch. So I'm glad that they did. He, he looks great and uh, just hope he keeps it up. All right. We're kind of going to go through the dud section rapid fire here. Cause we're, uh, we're at the 50 minute mark. So um, Mark, go ahead. It's Matt Barnes. He walked four guys in the third of an inning today, gave up two runs. This guy sucks. Pay him the $5 million or whatever it is you owe him to pitch for someone else. It's like the scene of Moneyball where, uh, Brad Pitt's talking to David Justice in the batting cage, and he goes, the Yankees are paying your salary to play against them. I will gladly, I'll I'll give him money out of my own pocket to pitch for anyone that isn't the Boston Red Sox. Get this guy the hell out of town. He's horrible. That extension was a joke. I understand he made an all-star team. Whoop-de-doo. I'm so tired of watching Matt Barnes pitch for this team. I can't do it anymore. I'm at my wits end. Get him out of here. He's a dud. He's a loser. I want him nowhere near the Boston Red Sox organization. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> oh boy, the velocity's back. So yay for that. But he has no idea where it's going now. Um, so for the, the, you know, through all of April, his fastball velocity was down in like the low 90s. And that's why he was getting tattooed. Now it's back up at 96 and he's throwing it to the backstop. So that's not great. I mean, literally tonight he had to just throw his curveball because it was the only pitch he had. It was the only pitch he could somewhat locate. And even then it just, it didn't work. And yeah, walk the bases load, you know, walked in a run. Um, he's, he's so bad. He's completely lost it. Um, they're just throwing him out there to justify the extension. Now they're just hoping that they're again, they're hoping like he gets a Nick Pavetta type of, you know, revelation and something clicks and he turns into the Matt Barnes that we got, you know, during the first half of last year. But in reality, Matt Barnes is what we got in the second half of last year. He's just, he's not that good anymore. He's got a ton of mileage on that arm. Um, it's, you know, it's sad because he's been a career Red Sox and, you know, it's, it's a shame to see, you know, but he he's done. And if they get any bullpen help, down the road, he's got to be the first first guy out. I tweeted out that if Matt Barnes were released tomorrow, DFA'd, whatever you want to say, that would feel like a duck boat parade to me. It, there would be a similar sensation. When a 14-5 to 5 lead, when that pressure is too intense and you walk four guys, like you guys were saying, it's time to go. And we've got guys that can pitch. You can probably bring someone up from Pawtucket even. And um, I'm done with Barnes. I was kind of hoping he would give up a few more runs there just to make it uglier. I mean, we had the we had the the stability of a big lead. Let's just 
Let's just finish him off. Let's just watch the last scene of the Titanic one one more time. And um, I, I don't know what it's going to take. Maybe maybe his spot's so safe, it, it just doesn't matter. But the last thing I want is to him get relevant again, only for him to fall off a cliff a few weeks later, and then we blow four games because Cora can't accept the fact that Barnes is losing it. So... So tired of that. Jason, you're dud for the series. Okay. My dud is Kevin Millar. I tried to warn you. I tried to warn all of you. When the season started, started, they announced that broadcast team and the new guys coming in. I said, you just wait. Kevin Millar is going to be Johnny Gomes 2.0. He's going to be just as obnoxious. It's going to be nothing but stories from 2004. How many more stories from the 2004 season do we need to hear? Seriously. I mean, Nesson only does specials on the 2004 season like every other day. Now we got Kevin Millar in the middle of a game talking about, you know, Kurt, Kurt Schilling's bloody sock or, you know, road trips during the 2004 season. I don't care. It's just it's nothing but just bad dad jokes. He's obviously not used to broadcasting. He steps all over Eckersley and O'Brien all the time, and it's so awkward whenever that happens. And it's just, I don't know. I just, I can't stand him. The guy sounds like he's constantly auditioning to be on, like, Jeff Foxworthy's new, like, redneck tour. Like, he wants to be, like, in that scene. He wants to be a redneck comedian or something. Like, I have no use for it. He doesn't provide anything valuable during the game. Like, how many times does he talk about, well, flip over his baseball card and you'll see exactly what kind of player he's going to be. Great analysis there. Great analysis. He's talking about Jose Abreu and he's like, well, he's struggling right now, but if you flip over the baseball card, he's good for 30 home runs every year. Oh, okay. Oh, dynamite analysis. I'll just pick up a couple of baseball cards and I can be just like you, Kevin. He's completely useless. He provides nothing of value whatsoever to the broadcast. I hope that this was like his, his one like audition and Nesson looks at him and goes, Oh, yeah, no, he's terrible. Get him, you know, put him in the studio after the game. I don't care. You can put him in the studio because I don't have to watch that. I can turn that off at that point. Put him in the studio. Let it just be Euclid and Eckersley. That's the combo you need. Just no one else. Just you and Eckersley. That's it. Get Kevin Millar off my TV. <laughs> Jason can be intense with his delivery at times, Mark, but go ahead. <laughs> Follow that up. Like Kevin Millar. I'm not afraid to say it. He's, yeah, you say it seems like one big audition. It is. He's never done this before. Give the guy a break. He's had like seven broadcasts under his belt. Yeah. Is he, does he step on OB and Ack a lot? Yes, he does. And that will get better. But calling for this guy's job this early in the season, especially when he's barely done any games I say what you want about Nesson having 18 different color commentators that work for him in my opinion get Maz the hell out of the booth because I don't know what he's doing there in the first place but just I like Moar. I think he's entertaining I think he's the type of guy that it, it's Nesson's in a really tough place right now they're trying to find anybody that can be the next Jerry Remy that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to find someone that can be that entertaining, universally beloved guy. And Millar could be that because Red Sox fans, a lot of them love Kevin Millar and myself included. I watch intentional talk a lot on MLB network. 
I think he's great. But I just say, give him a little bit more of a chance. If we're in August and he's still stepping on O'Brien and Eck as much as he does now, I'll give it to you. Get him out of the booth. But right now, he's barely done any games. He's still getting used to the format, which is a format he's never done before. I like him. I think he's funny. I say keep him in the booth. This is his second series. He did the Texas series with O'Brien. Uh, the Texas series, it was it was just him and O'Brien. So that was a two-person booth. This time it was a three-person. Perhaps that, that's a little bit more complicated for him. I mean, is he blowing me away? No. I mean, I think Euclid is still in the lead as far as all the new guys go. Um, but I, I think his analysis has been okay, you know, breaking down, um, you know, what's going on in the batter's box, what the, what the hitter's looking for and, and whatnot. So I'm just going to kind of give it an incomplete for right now, I guess, but I don't think he's been terrible. I'll just, I'll just say that. I wish it could be Eckersley every game, but he's, um, you know, he's a part-time announcer and uh, a full-time grandfather. So um, I don't think we'll ever get our wish on that. My dud for the series, we don't have to spend hardly any time on this whatsoever. There weren't many to pick from. I'm just going with Bobby Dahlbeck. I mean, continues to I already close the window. He's hitting around like 150, 155, something like that. Looks somewhat lost at the plate. Strikeouts uh, still an issue. He was uh, one for five. He did get a run, uh, a hit with a run uh, driven in late in today's game when we went off uh, in the eighth inning. But still not a guy I want anywhere near uh, the plate when you're when you're trying to string together some runs. I mean, we've seen Cora not pinch hit for him recently and um, didn't go well. So I just don't get why he's up here at this point, because even if you bring up a guy like Arauz or or someone else, that's going to give you literally nothing. You're still getting nothing anyway out of Dahlbeck. So at least send him down to let him try to figure it out. Everybody loses when he's up here with a big club. You're not doing anything for him uh, in terms of uh, production, and it's just not a great environment for him. Casas is uh, on the injured list right now with, I think, his uh, foot injury. But Bobby D, is, they're destroying this guy's career. Yeah, it, it makes no sense that he's still up here. And the only, I think honestly, the only reason he's still up here is because he's Kyim's boy. He's Kyim's boy and Kyim bet the house on him. He didn't go out on the first base market like he should have. Cause he's like, Nope, Bobby Dahlbeck's second half. That was legit. We're going to hang on to that. That's going to hit 40 home runs this year. Don't, you know, you guys just wait. I'm, I'm the all not all, all knowing all powerful Kyim. I, I know everything. Bobby D is going to be great. Whoopsies. No, he's not. That was that was a fluke. He's not that good. He, like you say, he looks completely lost to the plate right now. And again, like yeah, you mentioned it. Casas is on the IL right now. 
this is the perfect chance for Bobby to go down to Worcester, get some regular at-bats down there, get his stuff sorted out. And yeah, I call up Arauz. I don't care. Like, at least Arauz can play multiple positions. And yeah, sure, he doesn't give you much at the plate, but neither does Bobby. So I don't know why they haven't made that move. It makes no sense to me. Part of me hopes that, like, tomorrow we wake up and we see that, like, on the way back to Boston, they sent Bobby up to Worcester and, you know, made that move. But I think they're just too stubborn at this point. They're trying to get as much out of this as they can because I think Kayem is still convinced that he can turn it around and that he can be the player he was towards, you know, the last two months of last year. And I'm just not seeing it. I, you know, it's, I think he's toast. Bobby Dahlbeck is the right-handed Ryan O'Hearn. Ryan O'Hearn, of course, the first baseman for the Royals that had a great, you know, it had a great stretch when he was called up in 2018. He had, I just had his stats here. Hold on. He had, 12 home runs in 44 games. And I was like, wow, this guy's got big time power. Bobby Dahlbeck fooled us. He fooled everybody. I don't know if he fooled you guys. He fooled me. I will admit, Bobby Dahlbeck fooled me. I was all in on Bobby D going into this year. That's like Jason said, that's not who he is. And the bat is not ready. I don't know if it will be ready. I don't know if Bobby Dahlbeck is a major league player. But, hey, Ryan O'Hearn is still getting at-bats for the Royals, so maybe he'll stick around and we'll keep seeing him. But that's it just seems like he's he's not a major league player right now. And it, I think it's a, I'm okay with keeping him on the roster just because you know what the upside is. We saw the upside last year. So I'm okay keeping him there until Cassis is ready. I'm all in on Tristan Cassis and – I think he should be the guy that replaces him if it's anybody. But you know what the upside is? Maybe he gets hot. Maybe it's five home runs over the course of a couple of weeks and you know Bobby starts to turn things around. But as of right now, he does not look good at all. Okay. Uh, let's uh, just get into the next uh, series here before we wrap Uh, Saturday is iffy. Uh, I think that's going to be the Winkowski day, but let's just stay in order. Uh, Friday we've got, oh, that's on Apple TV. Uh, Garrett Whitlock versus Kyle Bradish. Bradish struggling mightily as of late. Uh, his most recent start against Tampa Bay, uh, last Saturday. Five and one-third innings pitched, gave up five runs. Start before that against the Yankees, uh, four and one-third, gave up four runs in that one. So we could be catching him uh, potentially at the right time, but Garrett Whitlock is also coming off, excuse me, his worst outing of the year. So how do we have game one? I, I think you can pencil in a win for the Red Sox there, especially the way their offense is going. Like you said, Bradish has been really struggling. He's not one of their better pitchers. He's a back end of the rotation guy. Um, Garrett Whitlock, I still have confidence in. I Again, I still want him in the bullpen, but as long as he's in the rotation, might as well enjoy it. He's been pitching pretty well there. I don't think he'll labor too much with that Baltimore lineup. So Red Sox should bring the bats out and they should win that one. I'm not one to bet against the Red Sox best pitcher. So I'll just take the socks in that one. Give me Whitlock over Bradish any day of the week. 
I agree. Uh, I think, if anything, the hook could be a little quick for Whitlock before too much damage is done anyway. So I'll take uh, him as well. Game two we have, uh, which is, I don't know if this will be the first or second uh, game on Saturday because that's the doubleheader day. Well, actually, it does have a 12, 10 p.m. time listed. So I guess that's game one. Nathan Avoldi versus Jordan Lyles. Uh, Lyles hasn't looked super great uh, recently. He uh, Well, he gave up three earned runs against the Yankees. I take that back. He's pitched okay in his last couple outings. Six and two-thirds against the Yankees. Uh, got charged with three earned runs. Start before that was actually against the Yankees as well. Uh, seven innings pitched, two earned runs. Struck out eight, by the way, in both of those appearances. And then three starts ago against the Tigers, he did kind of get tuned up for four earned runs over five and two-thirds. So he is up against uh, Avaldi, uh, who struck out 11 in his last outing. So, Jason, how do you see that one going? Yeah, I got that one as a win as well. Um, I always like Nathan Avaldi pitching at home. Um, especially against that that Orioles lineup. Again, it's not the worst lineup in the league, I don't think, but it's certainly down near the bottom. Um, Jordan Lyles, to me, is nothing special. Journeyman guy. Uh, Red Sox have seen plenty of him as well because he's bounced around so much. So, again, with the way this offense is going, I, I have complete confidence in them. I think they'll they'll take the bats to Lyles as well. And, again, Evaldi at home is just always so good. So I get the Red Sox taking that one. I'll give this one to Baltimore. Lyles has shoved in his last two starts. You know, the runs he's given up have been more, I don't want to say flukish, but it's just he's looked really good in his last two starts. He He's always good for a few really good starts a year. Um, as much as I love Eovaldi at home, you know, the Orioles still have Trey Mancini and Ryan Mountcastle in their lineup. And those are guys that apparently can't hit the ball out of left field at Camden Yards anymore because they moved the wall back and they made it higher. But if they're hitting fly balls over the monster at 312 feet, it wouldn't surprise me to see either of them go deep in that game. I know the Red Sox offense has been great, but you can't expect 16 runs every single game. So I'll actually give that one to Baltimore. I, too, will ride the momentum of uh, Nathan Avaldi. The Red Sox actually didn't look great against Lyles um, earlier in the season, but typically they have been making adjustments pretty well um, the second time they see them. So uh, with that in mind as well, I'll also take the Red Sox to win uh, game two of the series. I'm just kind of on the fly uh, trying to piece together game uh, two of the doubleheader. It's game three over all of the series, but game two on Saturday. That's looking like Josh Winkowski versus uh, the Yankees, uh, excuse me, Orioles top pitching prospect, Grayson Rodriguez, who... um, is a big boy, 6'5", 220 pounds. Uh, he's 4-1 and one, uh, so far this year with a 270 uh, ERA. 
pitching pretty well. Again, top prospect, probably a lot more heralded than Josh Winkowski is, who we got in the Andrew Benintendi trade. Uh, I was just trying to pull up Winkowski's game logs, but oh, here they are. Uh, he's got a 398 uh, ERA on the season uh, with the Worcester Woo Sox. And trying to look at these, uh, these game logs are a little different. So, uh, and Winkowski's last outing, uh, six innings pitch, got tuned up for for five earned runs. Uh, not good there. Um, but his three starts previously, let's see, six innings pitched, uh, only two hits. This was two starts ago. Um, gave up no earned runs in that outing. He had a two-inning outing on May 11th. Um, I think they might have been tinkering with starting him, uh, or excuse me, putting him in the bullpen. Uh, just one hit uh, in that two-inning outing. And then finally, May 5th, he pitched five innings of just two hit, one earned run ball. So his ERA looks to be inflated by his last outing, again, where he got tuned up for five earned. So our semi-good prospect versus one of their really, really good prospects. How do we have that one going? Oh, I, I think Grayson Rodriguez is going to uh, pitch very well. I, I won't say dominate because, again, with this offense, you never know, but he struck out 11 in his last AAA start. He's an absolute stud. Um, if they, Yeah, if they're calling him up for this game and we've got Winkowski, who I'm not high on, I'm not drinking the Kyan Bloom punch on Josh Winkowski, I still think the Ben Attendee trade was a stupid trade. So uh, I kind of hold it against anyone who was involved in that trade. So Winkowski is, is part of that. I think he's just average. Um, so we'll see how, how he performs. I'm very interested to see, you know, cause all the bloom people are very high on him. I think he's just kind of a jag. So, but I, I think Grayson Rodriguez is a stud and I think he's going to pitch really well. And I think Baltimore is going to take that one. I agree with everything Jason just said, except for the fact that Baltimore is going to win the game because I cannot have myself saying the Orioles are going to sweep the Red Sox in a doubleheader at Fenway Park. So I think Rodriguez will pitch great. I think Winkowski will pitch okay. I've listened to a couple of his starts. You know, I work for a AAA baseball team, so I've, you know, I've familiarized myself with the Woo Sox a little bit this, a little bit more this year. And I kind of like Winkowski. I agree. The Andrew Benintendi trade, stupid as hell. They traded my favorite player. That still pisses me off. Um, he's still my favorite player in baseball. I don't even care at this point. Um, but, you know, so I agree that I think uh, Grayson's going to shove. I think Winkowski will do okay. Give me the Red Sox on like a walk-off double off the monster in like two-to-one two, two to one fashion or something, or four-to-three, let's say. We'll say four-to-three fashion in game two of the doubleheader. I'm going to pick the Orioles to win that. I guess my best hope is that maybe with this newfound uh, run that the Red Sox are on, maybe we'll have a sellout crowd. Maybe they will be a little rowdy. Maybe that gets to Rodriguez a little bit, but it's really hard to sweep two games of a doubleheader. So I'm, I'm just going to take the uh, Orioles in that one. Uh, so game four Sunday, 
That is Nick Pavetta versus Bruce Zimmerman. Zimmerman having a pretty good year. Uh, 378 uh, ERA. I, I think that was uh, a little bit lower uh, as of recently, but last three outings, he's gone at least five or six innings. Hasn't given up more than two earned runs in any of those outings. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Pavetta looking uh really stout so jason how do you have that one so i actually i like i'm looking at bruce Zimmerman's last couple outings they've actually been pretty rough according to espn oh did i look at it uh, backwards i might have done yeah that. it's may 20 so he faced the yankees back to back on may 19th and may 24th yeah and he gave up five runs on the 19th four on the 24th all four by home run um okay. so the yankees tuned him up he, he pitched pretty well before that against uh Detroit, Kansas City, and Minnesota, but those are weaker opponents. Yeah. He's pitched well against the Sox during his career. He's got a 3.6 ERA and a couple of starts against them. So he does tend to handle them pretty well, but I just think this offense is rolling right now. I just think they're too good. So, and he's obviously susceptible to the long ball. So I think you got to smack a couple home runs off him, and uh, I think they'll take that game. Okay, give me the Sox. Uh, I personally think Bruce Zimmerman stinks. He's had a couple of good outings this year, but he's no John Means. You know, there people have been comparing him to Means because they're both left-handed and neither of them throw very hard. He's not as good as John Means. The Red Sox should tattoo Bruce Zimmerman. I was looking at that the wrong way because the minor league one, the recent starts are on the bottom. This one, they're at the top, so... My bad there, and that explains why uh, I thought his ERA was lower, and um, it would have been had it not been for those two rough Yankee starts. But I'm going to ride with the momentum uh, of Nick Pavetta. He's had three good starts in a row, and uh, I think this one will be number four. So finally, uh, the last game of the series which is on monday that's a primetime game actually so that's nice being the last game of the season rich hill versus tyler wells wells has a 430 era on the season um hasn't pitched too bad uh only gave up two runs uh, against the yankees oh that was my bad nope but yeah five earned runs against the yankees I'm just we're in the last two minutes of the show and I'm uh you know I'm acting like Matt Barnes. Um five innings pitched, two earned runs, and then um against the Rays, four and two thirds, three earned runs. So he hasn't really been tuned up for a lot of runs yet, but Jason, how do you have this one going? Uh I actually have this as a loss, and the only reason I say that, you know I have this thing about Red Sox when they go up against big pitchers. Tyler Wells is 6'8, 265. So, uh, which is insane. That? And whenever I just feel like whenever the Red Sox go up against these tall pitchers, like Bailey Ober from Minnesota, who's like 6'7, Tyler Wells, 6'8, they just tend to struggle. It's a it, different arm angle, it's a different, you know, view in that batter's box. I think it's going to screw them up a little bit. And I think Rich Hill could get knocked around a little bit by that Orioles lineup. So I'm going to take Baltimore in the final game. Now, uh, 
this uh this guy pitching for Baltimore, I'm not familiar. Is he right-handed or left-handed? He's a right-hander. He, he's a righty, okay. When I think of a big Baltimore righty, the first person that comes to mind is Sidney Ponson. And that guy was horrible. Um, so I'm gonna go with the Sox in this one. I can't bet against Dick Mountain. Um, I I won't do it. You won't hear me slander that man on this show. Uh so I'll take the Red Sox. I think they win the series four to one, losing the one game in uh, game one of the doubleheader. Alrighty. Uh, I don't know which way to go with that last game, but uh, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick the Red Sox to win, uh, win the series four games to one. Uh, it's the Grayson Rodriguez game that concerns me the most. So um, I think we'll take three to two happily. Uh, you know, that would be a series win. That would be number five. So, uh, I'm pretty confident we can do that. The bats can keep rolling, and uh, it should be a fun weekend. Usually I hate watching Orioles games because they're meaningless, but we're trying to climb above 500, uh, so they're they're a little bit more meaningful this year. And then uh, we'll go into the Red Series. But that will do it for this show. Everyone uh, have a good Friday and enjoy your weekend. Take care.